0: Welcome to the Top of Mind podcast from Altos Research. This is the show where we talk to real estate industry insiders and experts about the trends shaping the market today. Enjoy the show. Mike Simonson here. Thanks for joining me today. Welcome to the Top of Mind podcast. If you follow along with Altos Research, you're familiar with our weekly market data video series. With the Top of Mind podcast, we like to add context to the discussion Uh, about what's happening in the housing market from leaders in the industry. Every week, of course, Altos Research tracks every home for sale in the country, all the pricing, all the supply and demand, all the changes in that data, and we make it available to you before you see it in the traditional channels. People desperately need to know what's happening in the housing market right now. And so if you need to communicate about this market with with buyers and sellers, with your clients, go to altosresearch.com. Book a free consult with our team. We'll review your local market and teach you how to use market data in your business. All right, let's get to the show. Today, we're doing a deep dive into the short-term rental market. This is a market that didn't even really exist like 15 years ago. And now it's a huge force in real estate and really the future of housing. Uh, And if there is a company that is the perfect analog to Altos Research the data and analytics we do in the short-term rental space, it's a company called AirDNA. And so I have the perfect guest to teach me about short-term rentals, the economics of short-term rentals, and about AirDNA, Jamie Lane. Jamie is the chief economist at AirDNA, uh, the go-to source for short-term rental data and insights. His background is with many years of experience as an economist in the hospitality industry. And Jamie's research and leadership has, has really helped the whole STR industry understand the drivers of success. Uh, Jamie and AirDNA are the source for data on the short-term rental market. And so we're going to geek out on all the data today. So Jamie, welcome to the show.
1: Awesome. Thanks, Mike, for having me. A longtime listener of your show. So this is really
0: excited. Excellent. I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of the stuff you're putting out too. So we're gonna get, we're gonna like uh, explore all the pieces today. So let's start. T- I like to start with a little bit of background about you and and then and Air DNA, so people know who we're yep. talking to. Yeah.
1: So uh, I'll start with myself because it sort of bleeds into Air DNA. So I spent uh, ten years as a hotel economist, uh, uh, originally with a company called PKF Hospitality Research that was acquired by CBRE. CBRE, for your listeners that maybe not know, is the world's largest uh, commercial real estate company, uh, over 110,000 employees um, in hundreds of offices around the world. So uh, by the end of my time there, I was overseeing all forecasting across all commercial real estate. So um, office, industrial, retail, multifamily, family and hotels. Uh, but my real love is in, in data is in the hospitality industry. Uh, and back in 2015, while I was at CBRE, uh, actually became one of the first subscribers of AirDNA data. Uh, and we uh, used it to bring into our hotel forecast of like, how is this burgeoning short-term rental industry impacting traditional hotels? Uh, and then fast forward five years later, uh, the CEO of the company, Sh- Scott Shafford, reached out. Saying, Jamie, you know this data better than anyone else in our own company. Please come and and lead our research group. So, um, join the company in October of 2020, uh, and AirDNA, in its like uh, ethos is a data company. So they've been tracking every single short term rental around the world uh, since uh, late 2014, um, and and it's the main metrics that you'd care about. So uh occupancy, ADR, uh revenue, supply, demand. So how many units are out there, how many are getting booked, um, what the revenue associated with those bookings are. Uh, and then we've created all sorts of product to serve I and mean, all uh different types of people in the industry, so from I mean, one unit investors or no unit investors looking to buy their first unit to and large institutional ownership groups looking to expand their portfolio and sort of really anything in between
0: that's a terrific story i really appreciate it i know there are definitely customers of the altos data who know the data better than i do <laughs> I'm like hey wait a minute <laughs> like that's i totally understand that because you know the the uh, the like you're you're the use cases right uh, huh. so, um, all right. So you said a few things in there that are really cool. I'd love to dive in. Uh, so, um, when you were at CBRE and you're consuming, uh, the air data, um, and you said that you wanted to understand what, um, impact short-term rentals have on hotels. Mm-hmm. So my question to you is what impact do they have? <laughs> yeah. So.
1: And it was really interesting at that time in ho- the hotel industry uh, because occupancies reached all-time record highs from 2016 to 2019. So on the surface, I had the question, and I got asked constantly, and Airbnb's growing exponentially. Uh, Verbos there, booking.com, like you've got all this new short-term rental supply, and yet, hotel occupancies are hitting record highs. Like how can these two things be happening at the same time? Uh, And a big piece of it is just like travel and the experience economy was growing so much and people were spending more on travel. So, and the pie was just getting so much bigger that it allowed both aspects of both short-term rentals and and hotels to continue to grow. But then once you dig in sort of one level deeper, you see that uh, actually where the impact was happening wasn't necessarily an occupancy, but it was on pricing. Uh, Cause that's where, and you see it in all sorts of industries that the supply dynamics can really play out of. Cause when we looked at traditional hotels, like you have a whole lot of new supply coming to the market that can really create sort of negative price pressures. And in the markets where short-term rentals were growing the fastest, Uh, And in markets like New York, where there was 25,000 new short-term rentals that essentially appeared overnight, you saw pricing power in those those hotels, which was essentially non-existent and where pricing was essentially still at great financial crisis levels um, from like 2009, 2010. And while the rest of the industry was sort of growing rates... Uh, they had no pricing power ADRs were stagnant uh and a lot of that could be attributed to the growing short-term rental industry
0: that is fascinating so uh the real impact of short-term rentals was on pricing not occupancy level people are still traveling they just had more choices and more people were traveling so uh it actually uh maybe if if hotels were already at their their peak um They like maybe having the short term rental like helps create a real spiral, real challenge, real cost challenge uh, for travelers.
1: Yeah. And then, and fast forward to the pandemic, like everything changed. Like, (laughs) and overnight, um, and travel essentially came to a stop for both hotels and short term rentals. Uh, I remember the, and my job was forecasting the hotel industry and occupancy went from, 66% Sixty-six percent down to ten percent, uh, and and it was it was a time, and I'm sure, I'm in your space, sort of analyzing data and just seeing how COVID was changing things. But and we went from updating our forecasts every quarter to updating them every week because uh, it was just such a dynamic, um, and we we all became sort of experts on the virus and and weekly trends on how many cases were coming in and which countries were getting impacted next. So it was really an exciting time. I and mean, from my advantage point, I mean, obviously there was a lot of pain happening in the hotel industry. There's millions of people getting laid off from their jobs. But what we tried to do was sort of provide a roadmap for these owners and operators of like, okay, how is occupancy gonna come back what are the factors that are going to get people comfortable traveling again? And one of our thesis was that short-term rentals were going to be, I actually see a boom because of the sort of distributed nature of them of people are going to be much less willing to get in a hotel with 200 other people. But if you could rent your own home, um, and that would actually be something that you'd be willing and able to do. And that's exactly what we saw. Um, and in the data, it's like you got to May and June of 2020 and demand just started
0: roaring back for short-term rentals where it took another two or three years for hotels. Wow. Okay. That's amazing. Um, and it brings up two other questions. The first one is, uh, is it possible? So we, we said hotel pre-pandemic, hotels were maximum occupancy, record level of occupancy, and the, the Airbnbs were, were exploding. Um, and is it possible that the addition of short-term rentals actually grew the market, like made more people travel because it was cheaper or easier?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you look in a, in most of the major cities, you look at how many nights were being stayed on a, uh, on a nightly basis. Um, how much was being rented and then what the total um, hotel uh, supply is and how much demand was coming into those hotels. Like the pie expanded so much. Like hotels in New York run 90% occupancy. Right. Like, um, and so, and then you look at the price point that most short-term rentals come in at in urban areas. It, at the time it was 30, 40% below the average hotel room rate. So short-term rentals in in a market like New York or San Francisco, LA, almost half the supply was in private rooms. So people renting out an extra, literally an extra room in their home um, yeah. and at a significantly lower price point than hotels. So it really was expanding, expanding the travel pie, getting more people traveling, more people experiencing these different cities um, and was a big part of sort of why I wanted to, dive into it was because it was just travel is changing the traveler landscape
0: and opening up travel to so many more people. That's amazing. Um, it brings up the second one. And this is a, this is a, I was going to maybe get to this later on, but we'll hit it now. I have a hypothesis. I have a hypothesis about, uh, the New York STR ban that we've seen. Uh, and so I'll tell you my hypothesis and you can uh reject it give me the thumbs up and thumb. so my hypothesis so New York has done a like a pretty substantial ban on uh short term rentals in the last I think year right last 6 months or something maybe last 4 months yeah 4 months I mean, it's, and it's my hypothesis easy. uh and that this is ostensibly to help uh for sale inventory homes for sale and and and, and for rent and my hypothesis is that We will see essentially no change of available inventory of homes to buy, but we will see increase in hotel costs. Uh, Like so, we ban we ban the the STRs ostensibly to help people live cheaper, but we won't see any more inventory, but we will see more expensive hotel costs. That's my hypothesis. What do you think?
1: Yeah, and absolutely, Um, and you (laughs) and. It, you would think it would be obvious. Um, but when looking at sort of New York politics, uh, uh, it's it's not always. So we had maybe at the peak 40,000 short-term rentals in New York. There's 3.5 million housing un- units in that market. There's a 120,000 hotel rooms. So reducing the number of short-term rentals maybe has a a, a minor impact on the overall housing market. Like you can do the math on, yeah. uh, on what that is, but it has a really significant impact in the, uh, overnight accommodation industry in, in New York. And just through December, we're already seeing an 8% year-over-year rise in hotel room rates, um, and a 6% increase in occupancy. So, uh, that's something that I'm, I don't forecast anymore, but if I was forecasting New York, uh, room rates that I, I would have significantly raised my outlook for the hotel industry in New York, which I, I think is probably part of what happened there. The New York hotel
0: lobby is a very power, powerful group in powerful that market. Guys. Yeah. And, and, and it's, there's a, you know, there's an intuitive fear of in tight housing markets like, Oh, well, these people are there and they're renting out these, they're buying these houses for a short-term rental. Now you can't, you can't have a long-term resident there. Uh, and that's bad. Um yeah, uh, like so, it's an easy criticism. Yep. Um, tell me what you think about that criticism,
1: yeah, or how, so, how I
0: should think about it.
1: Yeah, so I think about it in in two different ways, and I think you've got to bifurcate the type of market. So you've got large urban markets like New York, um, Atlanta, Dallas, San Francisco, sort of the the largest metros in the, in the country, uh, and when you look at short term rentals on average, they make up about 0.5% of the existing housing stock. So less than 1%, less than half of 1%. Um, so in terms, of, and you look at the how these markets are growing their supply, and you probably know this data better than most, like most of these markets are growing their overall housing stock by, what, 1%, 2% a, a year, like with new homes coming in, being built. Uh, new apartments coming in, being built. Uh, So the impact that short-term rentals are having on the overall housing market is immaterial. Like The supply-demand dynamics that are happening that are sort of driving uh, home values up, driving rents up, driving rents down are just I mean, I talk with housing economists every day. I'm sure you <laughs> know a lot of them. Uh, ask how many of them actually include a variable of short-term rental inventory in their models on what's impacting home values. Uh, yeah. And I would suspect if you talk to 20 of them, um, none of them would actually have short-term rentals in, in their
0: model. In their model, because it's not material. It's a, it's right. a corner. Okay, but that actually gets to the other big, uh, you know, the big social media headline. Right. And yep. which is like it's easy to vilify short term rental investors taking housing stock. Um, and then the next uh, step, the intuitive step is that, OK, when when the market turns, the travel market turns, suddenly these people are going to s- lose their revenue and they're going to sell their homes. Th- these, and, and then we're going to have a flood of and that's going to crash the market. Uh, this is so called the Airbnb bust. Um, tell me what you think about it. Like, how should I think about that? Uh, is there any, like what, what kind of risks? What kind of, what should we think about here?
1: Yeah. And, and it actually goes into the other phase of how I think about other housing markets is a very large percent of the existing short-term rental supply is people with second homes, that for the longest time, and since this sort of counts second homes, sort of vacant homes, um, seasonally uh, used homes, uh, there's, I, what, close to 5 million second homes out there. Um, short-term rental, so when people, someone has a second home, maybe they're using it a few weeks during the year, um, and that was, that's been happening, that's happened for years. You think a market like Vail, Breckenridge, Uh, Destin, uh, people, those type of markets are primarily, the primary use of the housing stock is for people's second homes to go on vacation. And what the short-term rental industry did was open up an ability for people to generate revenue off of those homes when they weren't using them. And I see that as an economist as a massive waste of underutilized housing stock. And the short-term rental industry all of a sudden gives you a way to unlock revenue for yourself, but also for the community, uh, of more travelers coming on, spending on ancillary services, going to restaurants, going to grocery stores, uh, generating tax revenue in those areas, without changing the overall housing market. like the number of second homes and vacant homes, like as tracked by the census, has actually gone down. Since Airbnb came onto the market in 2008, 2009, um, So over this time where we've seen and now go from zero uh, units on Airbnb in 2008, about 200,000 on verbo, to the U.S. short-term rental industry has 1.5, 1.6 million units. We actually haven't seen any inp- increase. We've actually seen a decrease. We've seen um, home ownership rates. Uh, go up over that time period. Um, so it, we're, the sh- rise of the short-term rental industry is not causing more people to take homes out of sort of the full-time housing stock. Um, so that sort of argument, I think, is more of a I'm, whatever. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you can understand but, where it comes from. It's yeah. just not, it doesn't happen to be founded in in but, the data. But moving into the Airbnb bust like a big calculus,
1: like, yes, during 2023, we've seen a decrease in the revenue that these owners could earn as a short-term rental, but only a small percent is actually like investor-based. Like a lot of it's these people with second homes that, I mean, if all of a sudden it's earning 7% fewer revenue, it's still, I mean, this year, it's still earning 20% more revenue than 2019. And for most of these owners, like if it... Start earning thirty percent fewer revenue or fifty percent fewer revenue. Like it's not going to cost them to sell that home. Uh, it might not be worth it for them the hassle of renting it out anymore. But it's not going to change their overall use case of that property because prior to Airbnb and Verbo coming online, I and mean, it was just sitting empty and
0: they weren't earning anything off of it. Right, right, exactly. So it's like it's all gravy. It's all gravy. And in the, the last few years you know, you refinance whatever mortgage you have on that second home down to 2.8%. And yep. and so- Your cost basis is so low. Um, we're still earning significantly higher
1: revenues than we were pre-pandemic. So, and, and, and you look at defaults in the housing market, they're at what record lows. Uh, when we look at churn in the short-term rental industry, and it's a metric I look at every month of just, do we see more owners- Sort of calling it quits over time of say I'm going to delist my my property um, and move it into some other other use case like there's always a relatively high level of churn in the short term rental industry just the nature of it like I'm going to do it for a few months I've got maybe I'm going to try it out between two long term renters Um, uh, but we've actually seen a decrease in the amount of churn as a percent of the overall stock uh, over these past couple years and. And I mean, it's uh, not increasing at any meaningful rate as we uh, go from 2022
0: into 2023 and 2024. Wow. So in short-term rentals in general, the market as a whole, revenue's up Yep. and churn is down in the yep. last 23- in, in the last, in, in 23, in the last 23. four years. Like
1: rev, four years. revenue per available listing is down in 2023. It was down about 7%, but that was- after it increasing 10% in 2020 and another 20% in 2021. Uh, It was roughly flat in 2022 and then decreased 7%. So that's a whole nother line of questions we could go down on just like what happened (laughs) and short-term rental performance
0: over this past five years. But it's been, it's been uh, a wild ride. Okay. So yes, we actually want to do that. And, and, but before we get the, so the, the, the question I do have is about like, you know, all right, so let's look at 2024. But before we dive into 2024, um, uh, you mentioned like the stats yep. um, and your occupancy rate and revenue per unit. And, and so what stats are the most meaningful for tracking this space? And what are they telling us right now?
1: Yeah. i one is supply growth i like in the housing market, like this so much impacts, like an investor making a decision to actually bring a new listing online. Right. Um, so, uh, we reached record high earnings in mid 2021. Uh, so revenue per available listing peaked then, and like anything, like, uh, Uh, Interest rates were at very low levels then. Home values hadn't yet really started taking off yet. So it became like an amazing opportunity for new investment in short-term rentals. Um, And during the pandemic, we had actually seen a decrease in the number of listings. Throughout 2020, we saw a 20% decrease in the supply of short-term rentals in the U.S., which I don't think was as widely reported as should have been. But as we started growing supply, uh, it took a full year and a half, two years to just get back to pre-pandemic levels of supply. So a lot of this growth that we were seeing with new investors coming in was just replenishing the supply that was lost. Uh, And a lot of the outperformance that we saw in 2021 wasn't a demand-driven sort of just people trying short-term rentals and record levels, and it was sort of a bubble to pop. It was that 20% of the listings had disappeared. Demand came back to 2019 levels. uh, And that just caused occupancies to reach record highs because there's just a scarcity of listings to stay in. Um, So record high revenues um, in 2021, that led to really high supply growth in 2022. So overall, we're seeing about 25% increase in available listings in 2022. We all know what happened in 2022. Like interest rates increased, we had reached record highs in terms of home values. Uh, short-term rental revenues started to plateau, and that meant investment slowed and slowed very materially. So, throughout 2023, we only saw about a 10-12% um, increase in number of listings, which was down I and mean, significantly from the 25% growth the year before, year before. And many markets, I mean, it just the economics didn't make sense for new investment. Just uh, a lot of the coastal mountain markets, like they're sort of COVID darlings to to go to, to invest in, to I and mean, set up shop in. Like I want to live there, I can work remote, um, and it just didn't make sense for investors to I and mean, buy new short term rentals there,
0: and they and they weren't. So okay, wow. So there's a lot of lot of data there. So the the number of units um, up uh by 25% in 2022. That's a big boom. Yep. And so you could imagine uh you could imagine that the headline fears like oh ton a ton of new supply but some of that was still gaining back from losses in 2020 like but but it's still a big year of growth. And then and yep. then 2023 down to 10 10% or 10 to 12% increase in listing volume. But meanwhile, revenue's declining. Yep. So those are, those are kind of bearish signals for yep. short-term rental, right? Uh, supply is way up over the last couple of years and revenue has peaked, uh, peaked two years ago and is now on the way and has been t- ticking down. So what does that say about 2024?
1: Yep. So 2024, our sort of tagline is the year of normalization. So, and it sort of brings to another data point. I I, I hope your listeners like data. Uh, of they do. Looking at, <laughs>
0: Turns out they do, yes.
1: <laughs> uh, is it, because w- occupancy I see is that, that sort of variable that's going to vary around the mean. So there's a long run average occupancy when occupancy gets high, p- new investment's going to come in. When it gets too low, investment's going to slow. So- 2018-2019 average occupancy was around 55%. We reached 60 north of 62% in 2021 and 2022, and now full year 2023 occupancy was back down to 55%. So we saw sort of the the rise and then the fall of occupancy and now we're in a very normal level in terms of what people should expect. Um, occupancy to be for short term rentals. And the fact that now we've seen investment slow and it's continued to slow throughout 2023, we still see very strong demand signals. So, yes, occupancy dropped, but demand for short term rentals reached an all time record high um, in the US in 2023 um and every subsequent year 2021 was a record 2022 was a record 2023 was a record there are more people staying in short term rentals than ever before and we'd expect that to continue to grow throughout 2024 people are still prioritizing travel uh there's still t- uh travel's taking a bigger share of their overall wallet and short term rentals and long term travel so travel like more than 3 or 4 days uh is continuing to expand and once you sort of reach that four-day period, like people have a much higher propensity to stay in a short-term rental, um, and the flexibility that we all still have to sort of, maybe not work remote full-time, but still the flexibility to do a four or five-day weekend and and work some of that period, like is is there, and we're seeing that continue to add to demand. So, our expectation is that supply and demand will finally be in balance in 2024 occupancies will be about flat. And we will start to see some growth again in the average daily rate to the rate that guests are charged. Where last year was down, um, people got a good deal uh, in 2023, um, or at least were paying less than they were in 2022. Uh, and that's going to lead to and not uh, positive growth for revenues again in, in
0: 2024. Okay. So, uh, right. So, um, ADR is average daily revenue growing this year. Um, and so, so let me make sure I got it right. So because we have 10 to 12% more properties this year, uh, even though occupancy per is down, the total number of stays is climbing. Like people are into short-term rentals more and more every year. I love this, uh, this equivalent here, long-term travel equals short-term rental. Yep. Like and and that is a trend is growing and uh, you know I mean I, I'm a, I'm a huge fan like uh, you know I, I, I love to go or plan a a Europe trip this summer and we'll almost exclusively stay in Airbnbs and you know hang out for 6 days in the city and work a little bit and go you know find a, a neighborhood. So I I get it. Um but I like that as a rule of thumb. Uh and it's and it's interesting to know um uh that um, that, 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 that trend is increasing so that as a result, you're, you're expecting average daily revenue for units, uh, us, uh, is going to climb in 2024. Is that right? ADR climbing, ADR climbing in 2024.
1: Okay. ADR is climbing occupancy, roughly flat. Um, and overall, I mean, Average listing is going to earn a little bit more in 2024
0: than it did in 2023. Okay, that's good to know. That's really fascinating. Um, do you have views about, uh, in in your work, do you forecast recessions and, and those kind of business cycles?
1: I've tried to stay out of the uh, um, job of forecasting recessions. We do leverage Oxford Economics for the economic data that goes into our models. So I'm not just like... <laughs> Uh, putting my finger up in the air and and saying what I think, like uh, I've got a team of PhD economists and we we actually create econometric models to try to forecast this. I actually, tease out the relationships of what's causing I and mean, people to stay in short terminals. What's going on in terms of jobs, GDP. So Oxford is not forecasting a recession for 2024. They've got slow growth, like first two quarters of the year, essentially going to be flat for GDP, and then. Um, moving north um, close to 1% by the end of the year. Um, But we do then forecast a range of scenarios. So an upside, a downside, and a severe downside scenario. So what would happen if we went through a recession? Um, And that would pull uh, uh, RevPAR's uh, revenue per available rental south uh, for the year. So if the sort of slow growth turned into a slight decline, and that could mean another year of declining revenues. If things turned out significantly better, um, our outlook actually isn't that much better. Um, and a big piece of that is we actually think supply growth would be meaningfully stronger and sort of uh, outpace um, and the growth in demand. So it would be slightly better on a rev par basis, but not. I and mean, there's much more downside risk for 2024 than there is upside risk.
0: Okay. Interesting. Um, uh, and, and just for a quick reference, did Oxford economics have a recession call for 2023 or did they say no recession?
1: They they did have a recession call for 2023. Um, and our demand forecast for 2023, I mean, meaningfully, um, uh, outpaced what, um, happened. So because of that recession call, I mean we were expecting occupancy to actually fall uh more than it actually did. Uh but it was a great it's it's always great when it's a little bit better than you said, then uh a, yeah. a, a little bit worse. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And that's I mean, that's really useful. Um, you know, I, the same thing happened to me. Like I don't forecast recessions, so I'm just watching everybody else. I have no capacity to forecast recessions. So um but you know, then you try to think about the likelihood that impact on housing inventory and those things. And, um, so, uh, so, okay. So that's really fascinating. So we actually can see the growth in the year. Uh, there's no, uh, there's less upside growth because, because there's, you think there's supply basically waiting to come on. People will go like, Oh, people are traveling. The market's kind of booming. I'm going to list this one. Okay. Um, and, and therefore the, the revenue per isn't going to grow as much. Um, uh, we've talked a little bit about the investor side. A lot of the, the short-term rentals, as you point out, are second homes, uh, vacation homes that like, okay, I'll make a few bucks on my, my asset. Um, but let's talk more about the investor class, the short-term rental investor class. Um, it was it was a boom you pointed out it was a boom in 20 uh 21 because revenue skyrocketed but supply hadn't yet so and so so people were were really buying a lot and it made a lot of sense at that moment that deal those deals went away pretty much last year uh they don't pencil out as much especially at 6 or 7% mortgage rates yep uh so what's what what's the what's 2024 and beyond look for short-term rental investors is it a is it a sustainable class of investor
1: yeah and one i i think it is a sustainable class uh i think and a big part of that is sort of growing demand and the rates that people are willing to pay so um like on a unit economic basis like running a short-term rental is is, is a profitable endeavor um what has been Tough to really make work is operating and owning short-term rentals at scale. Uh, So it's, uh, I wouldn't say easy to do, but we've seen a lot of examples of, and sort of profitable enterprises from that sort of 20 to 100 unit ownership uh, syndication, like uh, operating in a couple markets. But once you get larger than that, um, on both the management side and on the ownership side uh, when when you start spreading across multiple markets trying to uh manage these I and mean, this is hospitality is not a, a passive asset class by uh, any means I and mean, you've got people checking in checking out on every day uh you've got I and mean, people trying to figure out how to work the TV you've got um <laughs> You've got trash that you need to get to the street. You like, uh, you've got to clean these units. You have things being broken. You've got a day in between, between turnovers to get the <laughs> the shower fixed that someone broke. Like there is, you talk with any operator in the short term rental space, they'll tell you it is sometimes just a nightmare. Yeah, um, and that's that's something that we try to help investors just understand is that it is a different animal than a long-term rental where i mean, yes, there's headaches that go along with long-term rentals as well. Uh, but I, mean, you, it gets a little bit more, uh, hands-on, uh, with short-term rentals and sort of one, I And mean, it is a hospitality business is a hospitality class asset. Um, and there's additional work that goes along with it.
0: That's yeah. Hospitality is not passive income. Yes. <laughs> uh, that take away from the from. That's great. Um, I, I I love that. And and so, um, it's so you know it's funny. I a couple, of, I guess, probably a couple of years ago now, year and a half maybe. Um, I was in Nashville, and I uh, was with a group, and we had an Airbnb uh, close to downtown, and it was it was like they were like townhouses that they were thrown up quickly, and you could tell that they were they were like one airbnb after another because they all had like the light up nashville sign on the on the wall and like you could like you could see that and i'm looking around this neighborhood and like is this sustainable like is is this you know a good thing so um it was really great for our group of eight people like it was exactly what we wanted close to downtown we go make some dinners in the kitchen we could go down to a restaurant like it was exactly what we wanted for that group um but but is that is that a good thing? Yeah, so I, I sort of see
1: it like I'm the long term rental market where and that sort of became an asset class, what 2010, 2011, where it really sort of came on uh, on the scene. Uh, and now build to rent is a much bigger and piece of that where we're creating dedicated homes for rentals. And when you're a builder is creating a dedicated home for a long-term rental, things are going to be done slightly different. Uh, Now we're seeing dedicated build to rent for short-term rentals. Uh, And with those assets, things are going to be different. Uh, And a lot of times, like with those type of townhomes, like they're making them to expand from, I can sell each one individually. I can maybe have an adjoining door or adjoining back porch that could make it easier to host larger groups across multiple properties. Uh, So we're seeing because there's been so much interest in short-term rentals and especially in markets like Nashville or Phoenix or Austin, where you have this really neat mix of both business, leisure, group travel that really prefers the short-term rental type product, like for bachelor parties and uh, bachelorette parties in Nashville or uh, tech uh, groups in Austin, like where it's like I want to travel with ten people and all stay in one house. That I and mean, stuff is being developed purposely for it, and I see that as a great evolution because there it, it's just going to work better. You're not trying to take a square peg into a round hole uh, and make that existing home work as a short term rental. You're developing it specifically for it, so instead of maybe having one master and three small bedrooms, you're doing three masters in a home because you're appealing to three couples to come in and use that property and no one wants to have the sort of, get the small straw when when renting it out. So uh, we're seeing great innovation happening in the development space now that short-term rentals is an evolving asset class that people really
0: wanna invest into. Fascinating. So build to short-term rental is like has legs, (laughs) has legs yeah, and, and okay. It is legitimate. All right. That's really, that's really fascinating. Um, the, um, uh, so, um, let's talk about risks. Mm -hmm. So risks to the industry, uh, or to the housing market or what, what are, what, like, what what are we? What risks are we facing? Yeah. So one,
1: I and mean, I've studied hospitality now for 15 years. Uh, the hospitality sector is very cyclical, I and mean, it is a consumer discretionary spending item. Like people travel more when times are good, and they travel less when times are bad. I and mean, there's no getting around that. That I and mean, the demand associated with travel is going to go up and down in recessions um and that needs to be underwritten uh when looking at this asset uh cuz when you look at long-term rentals um a lot of that is countercyclical of you actually see more people looking to rent during a downturn because maybe they've lost their home or maybe they're lost their job and they need to downsize or and there's it can be very much a countercyclical industry and but short-term rentals and it's going to go up and down with the overall economy. So we uh, advise people to very much look at the downside scenarios that we're looking at and understand what it could earn in that downside. And also underwrite like if you had to look at it as a long-term rental, what would that be? Or if you just had to exit it uh, altogether, what would that look like? Um, so that's and unfortunately, I'm a lot of these assets, they've got great other use cases, maybe less so in a in a market like a Destin where and most of the homes are, are second homes and you're going to be looking for another investor or people, someone looking for a second home of which that sort of demand can go down significantly and just for investor side in a, in a recession. Um, but as long as uh, people are underwriting with that downside risk in mind that they're going to be able to weather uh, a drop in revenues. What that scenario could look like, uh, we think most people are, are taking that into account and can can weather it. That said, um, there's this industry has been growing so much, um, and demand for short-term rentals are growing so much. If we went through a recession, what? more than likely would happen is we'd have a year of like no growth in demand and not actually see a decline in overall demand for short-term rentals. Um, So you marry that with what could be some people pulling out, like what happened during the uh, COVID pandemic, and could mean that occupancies and the downside scenario might not actually be that bad, given that supply actually moves along with demand during
0: these uh, cycles. Interesting, yeah, and and I uh, was going to ask you that as like, uh, given that the the travel is has been growing and outsized growing and, and long term travel has been growing, um, do you see those as persistent trends beyond the the recession cycle, or is it are, are they are they the first to go? Do they go? Does it get accelerated because of the access, recession cycle? But it sounds like persistent is your take.
1: Yeah, and typically travel is the first thing to get cut at a start of recession uh, and the last thing to come back, <laughs> uh, So, uh, which makes it a great leading indicator. Um, so one of the metrics I look at most closely every week, every month is um, new nights booked because we track every night that gets booked in a short-term rental around the world and it gives us a great indicator of sort of the health of the consumer. Like, are you willing right now to make a bet that the economy is going to be good in August when you take your family trip? Because people are are making those bookings today uh, for travel come July and August. Um, and are they doing that more, less than last year or the year before, 2019? So we've got a great sort of real-time pulse of how the consumer's feeling. I um, love it. And there's some things that, you wouldn't have necessarily guessed that would have caused people to pull back. But like when the Israel Hamas war started in October, we actually saw a pretty significant pullback in bookings. Like it didn't go negative, but things were sort of running 10, 15% growth. And all of a sudden we had a period of like 3 or 4% growth. And it was like, oh, like this really did have a change in everyone's psyche of like, let's pause for a second see where this goes and then decide if I want to book that trip. And we eventually saw the catch up in the few weeks after of 20, 25% growth. So, and people eventually made, that, those, made those bookings, but there was a couple week window where people really
0: uh, pulled back a bit in terms of forward bookings. Okay. So that's awesome. I love new nights booked as an economic leading indicator. And so, uh, and the health of the consumer. So two questions on it. One is uh, back at the beginning of 2023, when Oxford Economics, your input source was saying, yeah, we're still looking at, at recession coming this year. Mm-hmm. What did your new night's book say? Did, uh, did it, it, did... It,
1: it was very strong. It was... Um, so, was And, and a, a piece of that was um, the year-over-year comps. So when we were sitting at the beginning of 2023, we were looking at comps from early 2022 and that was around the, I think it was Omicron then. Um, so we actually saw a really big bump in bookings because with, if you think back to the COVID waves, like that was, I'm playing with sort of booking dynamics so much and you can track like each wave along with booking activity. Um, and <laughs> so that was, that, that was a whole nother time. I love it. Um, and then like, in 2022, you actually saw a decline, in our 2023 you saw a decline in year-over-year bookings. When you saw the resurgence after Omicron, uh, where everyone started booking again in March, where they would have been booking in January, so um, lots of lots of noise in the data. Okay. Yeah, uh, but as of then, it was so good, and as of now, like the December numbers, demand was up, nights booked were up 11. percent So we, as we look forward for the year are not seeing any slowdown in terms of booking activity like yes it's down from some of the recovery years but we're seeing a very healthy level of new bookings as we look forward to 2024
0: i think that is such a brilliant insight for the consumer the consumer side of the the economy the travel side of the economy like everybody was was worried about recession in the beginning of twenty twenty three and the new nights booked like the consumer was actually like was was rolling uh and right now we don't see slowdown either um that's really, really interesting. Do you have any um sense on uh the length of leadingness of that if it were to turn south? yeah when does your recession call come
1: yeah, so that's something we actually track is lead times because lead times, how far in advance you're willing to make that booking and can give you a sense of conf- confidence for the consumer. So if you're booking really far in advance, you're feeling really confident. If you're waiting, waiting, waiting to, <laughs> to have that booking uh, that and shows less confidence. And it's actually like terrible as a host, as an investor, you're like, cause I don't know how to change my prices. Like if, I know that bookings going to come in and I'm willing to hold my price but there's only so long I'm willing to hold that price before I'm just like all right like I'm going to cut and I I cuz I I need to get someone into that unit. Um so last year 2023 with the falling occupancies um consumers actually started waiting to book. Uh and we saw the average lead time drop by about a week. That Led a lot to the falling rates that we saw in 2023 of the average revenue manager being like, "All right, I'm going to cut my rates to make sure I still get my unit occupied." Um, that um, so it, that's one indicator that's still not like flashing green yet, I and mean, it's still sort okay. of red to orange. Of lead times have not fully came back. They were looking really good in 2021 and 2022. Because of scarcity, people sort of realizing I need to book advance if I'm going to find anything because occupancy's got so high. Uh, But now that that's not a problem anymore, people have started waiting and it it could be something that continues to trend down. So the lead times for short-term rentals are much longer uh, in advance, much further out in advance than traditional hotels. People tend to book hotels like two, three weeks a month in advance. Um, short-term rentals, it was like two to three months in advance. Um, so now, and it could be as these two types of lodging and merge or the type of users that are using them, uh, start looking more and more the same that, uh, short-term rental lead times could just get shorter and shorter, um, as the industry evolves. That
0: is awesome. Awesome. So what we are seeing is that consumers are still spending the money right now. New nights booked is up, but they're, they're waiting longer. So they, they, they are showing some cautiousness, but they're still spending. Um, yeah. okay. So that, that like, you can, you could, everybody's on pins and needles, basically. Yeah. <laughs> like, but you know, like, and, you know what? I'm still going. I still have my job. I look around. I, am I still employed today? I, I, I'm right. doing this.
1: And and this is an election year. So I'm, there's more uncertainty than ever. Um, and I think in the eyes of the consumer and and as I said, like, if, People can wait to make a decision. They typically will they if will. they can. So yeah. um, it's
0: it, it could be a year that I'm, the uncertainty persists. Fascinating. All right. Those are terrific. So these are signals, um, actually signals in the short-term rental data that tell us about the future of the economy, which is super cool. Are there signals in the data that you see that tell us about the future of the housing market? more specifically?
1: Yeah. um, And one, I think, gets back to looking at short-term rental stock as a percent of overall sort of overall housing stock and overall second homes. Like we see short-term rentals as a percent of the overall housing stock continue to decline. Um, Housing stocks growing faster than overall short-term rentals in terms of total number of listings. Short-term rentals as a percent of number of second homes continues to decline. Um, But... Short-term rentals as a percent of overall second home and vacant housing stock continues to increase and increase substant- substantially. So I see that as a, an, a great indicator of, uh, one, a better utilization of our existing housing stock. Like if we just got everyone using the stock that was out there in a more efficient way, um, and uh, and I think short-term rentals can be a big piece of that, uh, we're going to see... An, because we can see in the hotel pipeline data, there's going to be the next two to three years of almost new no new hotels being built. In the long run, ho- total lodging demand grows about 2% a year. So hotel occupancies are more than likely going to reach new record highs again over the next two to three years because demand's growing and there's not new hotels being built. And that's going to give more and more opportunity to short-term rentals as well as the ability to really react to traveler demand, fill in where people are wanting to go, where there's not enough hotel supply and continue to and support those travelers. So I'm, I'm very much like, but near and long-term bullish on short-term rentals, um, on travel uh, and on just the housing market becoming much more efficient uh, in the use of the existing stock.
0: That's a uh, terrific insight. Um, I wasn't familiar that short-term rentals as a percentage of the stock is actually declining. We're building more non than than we are um, than we are of uh, adding adding STRs in there. That's good, but short-term rentals as a per- sh- percentage of second homes is climbing, which means market share. If people are are taking advantage of the the revenue opportunities for their second homes. They are. Um, it's probably getting easier, and more comfortable, and you know, for for second homeowners, uh, yeah. and, and for the growth.
1: And we're seeing ADU laws change. We're seeing density laws change, uh, and there is a lot happening on the policy side uh, that's sort of supporting and better use of of land, especially in cities where it can support more density, um, and maybe you restrict short-term rentals in primary homes, but allow it in an ADU. So if you want to be able to earn additional revenue off of your primary residence, like, yeah, you can build an ADU and rent that out as a short-term rental, um, as an alternative.
0: That's great. I was going to ask, like, it's a great transition into policy talk. So the, but you covered a lot of it already. So the ADUs, we are seeing some, uh, policy folks who are interested in in adding density to housing, especially in places like California and, but a lot of the, the country. Um, and so ADUs are getting, loosening up, so we're at being able to add them. Um, though we are seeing, we still see, we talked about this early, some of the popular or populist um, uh, views of like, you know, those, those rent, short-term rental investors are eating up our housing stock, so we gotta not allow them. Um so yeah. New York is a big example. San Francisco has been pretty restricted on short-term rentals for a long time. Uh what what about is that a global trend? Is that is that a uh US thing? The 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 yeah. the that that trend to want to restrict the usage. Yeah.
1: And it's a global trend. Um and it's a global trend that is really varying in terms of uh what things different municipalities are doing to try to restrict short-term rentals. And there's some great examples of good laws and great examples of of bad laws are just very arcane, uh, uh, draconian-type restrictions like we see in New York. Um, What I think is one interesting, uh, Airbnb hired their first housing economist. So I actually had him on my podcast the SDR data lab a few weeks ago so Taylor Marr the former deputy chief economist at Redfin has Taylor's now joined Air- on my podcast yeah yeah has now joined Airbnb as their sort of housing economist um, to give them one uh, an expert in the housing space but someone that can then go in and, and speak to the housing issues that are happening um, in many of these local jurisdictions and help them come up with realistic and reasonable solutions that can actually help, as opposed to just using Airbnb as the red herring, the boogeyman, and try to restrict it when it's not actually going to help the real issues of housing affordability and housing uh, supply in many of these areas. So I'm sort of trying to change the narrative some um, in in the conversation.
0: Neat. Uh, Yes, exactly. Like they need to get Need to, to fight that because the conventional wisdom can spiral out of control in the wrong yep. direction. So you mentioned obviously that New York is a draconian bad law uh, uh, regarding uh, Airbnbs uh, and, and short-term rentals. Who's got a good example of a good law?
1: Uh, I actually like San Diego's. So okay. San Diego uh, realized that they, I'm another great example of a, <laughs> a leisure market business market, uh, all wrapped up in one. Uh, where if you just let short-term rentals run wild, like it, it has the potential to be an issue, just because there is so many people that want to travel and and go to San Diego, they realize that they that travel and staying in homes needs to be a part of their lodging. Uh, needs to and and it it can happen in in single-family homes, but they wanted to put a cap on it, so they said, you know what, we're gonna issue licenses, we're gonna. Uh, have um, the sort of limit of 1% of the housing stock in our market that can be permitted as a short-term rental. Uh, and they held a lottery uh, to get one of those permits. Uh, they spent a lot of money sort of uh, facilitating that lottery. Uh, and then not nearly the number of um, spots uh, or permits were actually applied for, and everyone that wanted a permit got one. Um <laughs> Uh, so they, one, they way underestimated the number of people that want permits. And I think a big piece of that is how much of the short-term rental inventory is people just doing it part-time of like, I want to maybe do it for a month or two. Um, it's not housing that would have come into the long-term rental market, not housing that would have gone into the for sale market. It's just like, I've got a few months where I'm not using the home like I would typically. And want to see if I could just earn some extra money on it as a short-term rental. Yeah. Um, so in and, and that way, they, they understand that some percent can do it. They put a path to, for people to apply those permits, get it, uh, let the municipality, let the city know who it is, who to call if there's a problem. Um, they can post that uh, registration number on the front door. Uh, and, and it's sort of let
0: the, let it happen in a sort of, uh, in a good way. Awesome. Um, that's really great. So San Diego has, has, uh, has done some good thinking on short-term rentals. That's, that's nice to know. Um, uh, San Diego in general seems to have some good governance things going on and they're doing work in ADUs and and stuff as well. Um, Jamie, we've blown through an hour already talking about the data. So, uh, let's, <laughs> yeah. let's bring it to a close. Um, uh, uh, is there anything about the, the, the market, um, that, that we didn't cover yet that we're like, you go, Oh my, don't forget. This is what I want people to know about.
1: No, I think we, we hit on all the, uh, on all the highlights, uh, uh, like you, like I cover this on a, on a real-time basis on what's happening. So, and we, I do a blog every week. It's a free blog on our site um, at airdna.co. You can go in and see our latest write-ups. We do one on both U.S. and Europe. Um, just all the latest trends, what's happening in supply-demand, occupancy, ADR. Um, and, and we try to keep people up to date. So if this is the type of thing that people find interesting and want to keep up to date on. Like our free blog has all that, and you can
0: you can keep up with it. Terrific. And you also mentioned your podcast. What's the name of your podcast for everybody? Uh, it's the STR Data Lab. Uh, we will make sure everybody has links to those and, and check them out. Uh, Jamie Lane, terrific conversation. It's exactly what I wanted to get out of it. It really helps me understand uh, what I should, you know, I tend to like form opinions on, you know, the things I'm like, now, it's like, it's nice to confirm them or reject them where I need to. So I appreciate your time and expertise for us today. Uh Really, really useful. Um, AirDNA.co is where the blog is, and uh, and the STR Data Lab is uh, Jamie's podcast. So, Jamie Lane, Chief Economist for AirDNA, thank you so much for being with us today. Outstanding conversation, everybody. This is the top of mind podcast, and if you enjoy listening to the the work we're doing here, I would really appreciate a review on uh, wherever you get your podcast, give us a bunch of stars so that that really helps other people find us. And meanwhile, we will be back with more data on Monday and lots more guests uh, in the industry to help us understand where the world is. So, all right, everybody, thanks so much. More next time. Thanks for listening to Top of Mind. If you enjoyed the show, I'd really appreciate leaving a nice review on your favorite podcast app that helps other people find us as well. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss future episodes.